Amen. We're turning together this evening to Paul's letter to the Colossians and to the chapter 2. Paul's letter to the Colossians and to that second chapter. has been a number of weeks uh, since we were in Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, given the time over the holidays and the break, uh, but we return to it this evening. And we have been in chapter 2 already, and we're moving down that chapter to the 16th verse, and we're coming to the final section of chapter 2. And we have said that chapter 2 is the chapter of conflict, and we see how the apostle refers again uh, to that ongoing conflict that the believers at Colossae were facing. And so reading from the verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward, in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God." Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will-worship and humility, and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Amen. May the Lord be pleased to add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. I want to entitle this passage this evening, Three Pitfalls to Avoid. It may not be very obvious on the surface with our reading, but there are three pitfalls to avoid that the Apostle Paul is writing against. And so in the portion that we have read tonight, the words of the Apostle come to us by way of a warning. There's a warning to the child of God. And of course, in our everyday lives, we receive many warnings. You might get a weather warning. It's going to be some type of severe weather that's approaching. It could cause damage or it could be a risk of flooding. And there are weather warnings that go out. It could be something as simple as driving your car down the road. And the signs that we would see at the side of the road can become warnings to us. And so we would be foolish to ignore the warnings. 
And whenever it comes to our spiritual lives, there are warnings here that are put into the Word of God, and we're presented with warnings that we would need to take note of. In chapter 2 of Colossians, the apostle has already given out some general warnings. Look at chapter 2 and verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And there's the danger of being beguiled or being deceived. And Paul gives out a warning. In chapter 2 and the verse 8, you can see the word there, beware. Here's another caution. Here's another warning that he's giving to the child of God. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And so there are these various warnings that the Apostle Paul has already given in a very general way. But as he comes to this final section of chapter 2, he becomes here a little more specific in the warnings that he's giving. And he's referring to particular dangers that were threatening the Colossian church. These pitfalls that were threatening to rob those believers of entering into the fullness of Christ robbing them from seeing that in Christ they had their all in all and that they were complete in him. There were those around the Colossian church who were wanting to introduce other things and they were wanting to bring uh, something of substitutes for the Lord, wanting to bring these things in place of Christ. And they were in danger of being led into bondage with these things. Now the devil is still busy and he comes with the same threats. Oh, the, the error may change, but really it's just an old error that's dressed up in new clothes. Well, the devil attacks the church today just as he attacked the church in the days of these Colossians. And the purpose is always to take our focus away from the Savior and to get our focus on to other things, to draw us away from the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and to bring the believer back again into bondage and to rob them of that fullness and that freedom that they have in Christ. Now, we said that these specific things may not be just clearly on the surface of the passage. And so we're grateful to the Bible scholars and to the commentators who would all refer us to these three categories of error, these three pitfalls to avoid. And the first one that they refer to is legalism. Legalism. If you look at verse 16, it says, Let no man therefore judge you. And there were those who were coming in judgment against these believers. 
They were introducing sets of rules and regulations that they were wanting them to follow. They were passing judgment upon them if they didn't follow them. And so there was the danger of legalism. And then there's what's called the danger of mysticism. And mysticism really was that looking into the dark world, if you like. When you look there at verse 18, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility, worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And the word there, intruding, they're intruding into these forbidden areas. Mysticism. That was a danger threatening the church at Colossae. Then the third danger that they were facing is referred to as asceticism. There in verse 20, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? These ordinances, these self-imposed rules. Living in that monkish fashion, that's what asceticism is. And so you can see that the apostle, as he writes to the Colossians, he's wanting to address these three areas. And he's wanting to bring before them these pitfalls, these dangers that could have robbed them of their fullness in Christ. And so just to look at each of them very quickly together this evening, take this warning against legalism firstly, and look at it there in verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. And the word that I would emphasize there is the word therefore. In fact, that word therefore could really go at the very beginning of verse 16 by way of emphasis. And it could read, therefore, let no man judge you. When you read the word therefore in the Bible, that's speaking about the ground and the basis of what has just gone before. And so you're invited to look back at what has gone before and then you come to that word therefore on the basis of what has gone before. Without going into it in detail, you would remember those different pictures of the new birth that the Apostle Paul has brought before us here a little earlier in chapter 2. In verse 11, he speaks about that circumcision but it's a circumcision made without hands. It's the circumcision of the heart. It's a reference to the new birth. Verse 12, he refers to that baptism, the baptism of the Spirit, whereby there's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we identify with Christ in those things. And then in verse 13, He's referring to the fact that we've been forgiven. All our trespasses have been forgiven. 
When he comes to verse 15, he's speaking there about the power of the Lord and the triumph of Christ. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And there's the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you come to verse 16, our text, and you get emphasized that word, therefore, on the basis of all that the Lord has done for us, on the basis of his victory at Calvary, therefore, let no man judge you. That's the force of argument from the Apostle Paul. Legalism. And legalism is a threat to the church in every generation. Perhaps it's particularly a threat to the evangelical church most of all. Those who have that sincere desire to please the Lord and they want to have a devoted life and they want to to honor the Lord. But there can be a danger of getting into bondage over issues that the Bible does not rule on. There is, of course, a difference between legalism and obedience to the Word of God. And we are, as believers, called to obey God's Word. There's no question of that. But it's whenever there are other things that man himself would seek to impose. And there are three areas mentioned there in verse 16 that in the context apply to the Colossian church, but the principle is there. The issue here was in meat or their diet. It was in drink. And it also concerns certain days, the holy days, the new moons, the Sabbath days, diet, drink, and days. These were the issues that faced the Colossians there. And of course, going back to the days of the law in the Old Testament, you of course had certain rules and regulations concerning uh, meat and what was to be eaten. Certain meats were considered to be clean, And you could eat them. Others were said to be unclean and they were forbidden eating them. The matter of drink. Of course, there was the drink offerings of the Old Testament. There were special days. They're mentioned here as holy days. The days of those Hebrew festivals and the feasts that were there. The new moon that would have called for Uh, certain religious worship and observance and then those Sabbath days that are referred to. But the apostle is showing us in verse 17, those things were a shadow. They were the shadow. He's saying now that the Lord Jesus Christ has come, it's no longer the shadow, it's the substance, it's the reality. Christ has come in the incarnation And he has lived that perfect life on our behalf and he has gone to die that death upon the accursed tree. And it's no longer now the shadow. Those things have all passed away. Oh, the shadow was there to prepare the way. But it's now the reality. The body is of Christ. Everything that went before was prefiguring the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul described it in Hebrews chapter 9. 
and in the verse 9, and he said, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come on high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. And Paul is showing that all of those things prefigured the Lord Jesus Christ. He's teaching the Colossians those things were all a shadow, but now that Christ has come, we have the reality. We have the fulfillment of all of those things. And all of those things have now passed away. Oh, the Pharisees in the Lord's time they had added many, many more rules. They had added law after law that it was so difficult even to count them. But the Apostle Paul is now saying, he's not arguing the rights and wrongs of those things. He's simply saying they're no longer binding upon the believer because Christ has come. It's a bit like if there are sweethearts and they're separated ones away in a far country, maybe before the time of video calls and so forth, and all they would have had was a photograph of one another. It's just like the shadow. My, they would have looked at that photograph and they would have cherished that photograph, but whenever the loved one returned, they had them there in person. They had the substance. They had the reality. You wouldn't hug the photograph then. You would hug the individual. And so it is with Christ. The shadow has passed away and we now have the substance. And some might ask in relation to the Old Testament and the relevance of the law, if we're not under it and it's no longer binding, well, what relevance does it have? Well, the law reveals to us the holiness of God. And the law also reveals to us our sin. And the law, as Paul also taught, is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so the law reveals to us our shortcomings. And the law shows us that it's the Lord Jesus Christ alone who, who can fulfill that law perfectly. And that's what he did on our behalf. But the law is no longer there to bring the believer into bondage and to bring us under uh, the claims and the curse of that law. We've been set free from that. That's why Paul wrote to the Galatians. They were facing the same threat and the same danger. The Judaizers who were wanting to reintroduce those things to these Christians. And Paul said to them in Galatians 5 and 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
Don't be getting back into the bondage. You've been set free from that by the grace of God. And you have that fullness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have that freedom in Christ. Stand fast in that. And so that's what Paul is writing to the Colossians about here. That pitfall, that danger of of legalism. But to move on very quickly to that second category, the second danger, beware of mysticism. And looking there at verse 18 again, we, we touched on it a little earlier, but he's saying now, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And all of that mysticism that's out there, it holds a certain fascination. You know that certain fascination of people wanting to know what's going to happen in the future and how could we find out and what could we look into in order to read the future. And there's this whole intruding into forbidden areas. And that word intruding there in its original form was a word that was used by the mystic religions of Paul's day. They were reaching into the unknown and into the forbidden. And they were, as the verse says, worshipping angels. Worshipping angels instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were doing it, he says, with a voluntary humility, or we could say a false humility. It was all fake. They were doing it under the pretense that, you know, they could argue to these Colossian believers, oh, we wouldn't be holy enough to go direct to the Lord We wouldn't be noble enough to enter directly into communion with him. No, we'll go through another way. We'll go through an angel. And they're making it out that they're being so humble in going through an angel. But the end of verse 18 says, vainly puffed up. Actually, fake humility is really a spirit of elitism. That's what's coming through here with this mystic type of worship. Now, we don't have many today who would claim to worship angels. Some may claim to have seen angels, the angels appearing to them. There are those who perhaps would want to worship dead saints, those who would want to use Mary as a mediator, those who would claim to have private revelations from the Lord, those who claim to speak in tongues, and they're using these things which come under this banner of mysticism, but there are things that are taking the place of Christ. Verse 19, in answer to that, Paul says, not holding the head. The head is the Lord Jesus. And when it says they're not holding the head, they're not honoring the head. Oh, they claim with the false humility that they're doing these things, but really it's not honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Rather, it's an attack upon the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the head of his church and he's the only mediator between God and men. Paul's warning us there. He's saying, let no man beguile you of your reward. Let no man beguile you of what you have in the Lord Jesus Christ by distracting you onto these other things and these other issues. In Hebrews chapter 10 and in the verse 19, it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And the apostle is showing here that we do come through the Lord Jesus Christ. We do come through the finished work of Calvary. We claim the merits of his precious shed blood and we can come with boldness into the presence of the Lord. There's no other mediator. There's no other way. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Let no man rob you of that. Let no man beguile you of that. The fullness, the victory, the completeness, the triumph that we have in Christ, let no one take that from us. There is to be an increase in holiness. There is to be an increase in spirituality. But it doesn't come through those things like legalism, mysticism, spiritual growth, it comes through the Savior. The one who has saved us, the one who has cleansed us in his precious blood, that sanctifying work comes through Christ. And when you look at verse 19, in light of that, not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. There is to be an increase in spirituality. There is to be an increase in holiness. But it will come through Christ. It's not complying with a set of rules and regulations. It's conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ and in and through him there is that increase. The increase in spirituality comes through Christ alone. Avoid these pitfalls of looking to other things. Legalism, mysticism, then that third one, asceticism. In the verse 20, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? And just that last phrase there, being subject to ordinances, it was these man-made rules and regulations again. This asceticism is really a combination of the legalism and the mysticism that we've already referred to. And the asceticism, that monkish lifestyle, it flows from those things. Self-imposed disciplines. Self-imposed sacrifices. 
individuals depriving the physical body of its needs and saying that doing so is making them more holy and more acceptable to God. Verse 21, touch not, taste not, handle not. They're the sort of things that that ascetic lifestyle would be imposing upon individuals. Not eating certain things. Not handling certain things. Sometimes they would withdraw from society itself and not speak to any other individuals for long periods of time. You look at the verse 22, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. It's not of God. That ascetic lifestyle well, the Lord says we're in the world, but we're not off the world. But we're not to withdraw from the world in that sense. Commandments and doctrines of men. That's what brings you into bondage. That's what distracts us from focusing alone upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to look into verse 23, you can see the phrase there, neglecting off the body. Those who would actually do themselves harm physically. Some severe treatment upon the body with a view to becoming more spiritual and more holy and more acceptable to God. Paul's saying you need to beware of these things. Verse 23, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. It's only Christ who can satisfy. Those who continue with that sort of lifestyle and looking for peace and looking for satisfaction like Martin Luther did. And the things that Martin Luther would have put himself through in order to find that peace with God. And then the truth of the gospel dawned upon his heart. The just shall live by faith. And it's faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And then Christ, Paul, has been underlining to these Colossians that all fullness dwells in him. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him. We don't need to look for anything additional. We have it all. In and through Christ. Our freedom. Our forgiveness our fullness, our completion. It's all in Christ. Don't let anyone take that from us. As we go on, God willing, into chapter 3, we will see that real sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit there. But may the Lord bless these thoughts to each of our hearts this evening. We'll turn to a couple of verses of a hymn just at this point. And it is the hymn 405. The hymn number 405. <clears throat> 
Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am